Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood and it's story time. Getting started on this one a little later than normal on Saturday here. Um, Let's see, (laughs) just got busy doing other stuff. Kind of been a slack Saturday, which is fine and good. So... Yeah, getting back into the next two chapters of Outdweller, which uh, you guys have been listening to and enjoying, I know, and so I won't take up uh, too much more of your time. We'll just get straight into it. Remember, this is written by me and read by the awesome Kevin Sapp. Sit back, enjoy, and I'll talk to you on the flip side. 9. Saying Goodbye They wasted no time on Beverly's funeral, same as with Balin. No sense in putting it off any longer than necessary, especially with the bodies in the state they were. And so, that very evening, Helena led a long procession, almost as long as the procession for the men who died fighting Eisenhof, down to the docks, where her sister's body lay wrapped in clean cloths that covered her from head to toe in a small boat. The cloths were a necessity, because of the state her body was in. But they were not unheard of in any case. Some families preferred to look on their dead one last time, but many did not, and sometimes there was enough of a delay before the ceremony that decay began to set in, and it would not do for the guests to see the deceased in that state. So, no comments were made at Beverly being made up that way. At least, not openly. But Julian saw the looks between individuals in the crowd, the furtive whispers, the speculative expressions. Everyone was wondering about the similarity with Balin's funeral, just a couple days before. It did not take a mental heavyweight to wonder whether she had been murdered in the same way he had, and if that were the case, it was not an animal that did him, was it? He could practically see the rumors that Mayor Brimley warned he and Radric about beginning to take form. The ceremony was quick, as Helena apparently wanted it. Mayor Brimley said a few words, which was appropriate for a woman who had contributed to the youth of the town for so long, and then men hoisted the boat's sail and cast it off from the dock. The breeze caught the sail, pushing the boat further from shore. When it got about a hundred feet out, a man knocked an arrow and dipped the head into a torch, setting it alight. Then he aimed and shot, and the arrow tracked across the sky to the boat, where the carefully prepared wood caught fire quickly. It burned for several minutes before the boat sank beneath the still waters of Lake Glimmermere. Then the crowd began to break up, and before long, the only people remaining on the dock were Helena, Radric, and Julian. She just watched the patch of water where her sister sank down to her final rest, in silence. They did not intrude upon her grief. 10. Questions and Questions There has to be some connection between Balin and Beverly. Julian sipped at his drink and frowned as he turned Radric's words over in his head. After a moment, he shrugged. Does there? Radric gave him a long-suffering look, the kind that made people feel stupid. 
Don't look at me like that, Julian said. It could be there's nothing in common between them, and this is all just... random. Radric finished for him. He picked up the knife lying next to his plate and cut off a piece of his fish, then began chewing rapidly. He swallowed and made a jabbing motion with the knife toward Julian. You don't really believe that, do you? Julian sighed and leaned back in his seat. He turned his head to look over the taproom at the Orlock, where they were taking their lunch. It was a good-sized crowd today, the day after Beverly's funeral. Cobblers, smiths, workmen of all sorts, and a few ladies who worked the trades as well, were sitting in small groups of twos or threes at tables scattered around the room. A good crowd, but the boisterous conversation that normally filled the taproom was muted. There was a tension in the air, an unspoken worry that seemed to have lowered everyone's spirits. Two people were dead, and despite his and Radric's efforts to stem rumors over the last day since their meeting with the mayor, enough people had begun to put two and two together that Beverly had been murdered. Folks were beginning to worry that there might be another incident. And if so, who would be next? Why? The mood was not contained within the Orlock's walls, either. Julian had sensed it, more deluded, but still there, in the people, as he made his rounds this morning. People were worried, afraid. He had not seen the town worked up like this since Eisenhof. Julian looked back at his plate and jammed a cut of fish into his mouth and forced himself to chew it, not even noticing the spicy deliciousness that was Molly's signature recipe. In truth, he hoped the two murders were related somehow. It would be much more difficult to figure out who was responsible if there were no link between the two victims. All the same, though, Balin and Beverly? He could not imagine how they would have crossed paths, except in passing. Ray, Balin did not have the money to have anyone but Ilsa teach his children, and Beverly never really had anything to do with the men in town except for business. What connection could there be? I don't know, but there has to be something. Maybe Ilsa and Beverly. Julian shook his head. I asked Helena. They were passing acquaintances, nothing more. Well, that just... Radric dropped his knife and threw his hands up, helplessly. Yeah. They sat in silence. Julian was certain he looked as puzzled, frustrated, and worried as Radric did. He certainly felt it. The serving girl, a slight little brunette named Sophie, who wore the standard blue dress and apron that Molly made all her girls wear at work, came by a minute or so later. She paused, looking suddenly uncertain, as she saw their faces. For a second, Julian thought she was going to turn and leave, but instead, she visibly collected herself and coughed slightly. Can I get you anything else, constables? Radric gave a little jerk as though startled. He truly had been lost in his thoughts if he had not noticed her arrival. He flushed slightly under Julian's gaze, then smiled abashedly and shook his head to the girl. I'm fine, thank you. The serving girl looked at Julian, and he shook his head also. She paused, biting her lip for a moment, then glanced around furtively before asking in a low voice, Do you know who did it yet? Julian blinked. That was unexpected though perhaps it should not have been. He traded glances with Radric, then cleared his throat before answering, Can't really talk about that, Sophie. In other words, no. She was no dummy. But then Julian had seen Sophie befuddle many a man in this taproom. Granted, most times those men were more than a little tipsy, but she had always been quick of wit. He sighed. We're working on it, he began. Sophie nodded slowly. I hope so. Beverly and her sister taught me when I was younger. What happened to her was so... What kind of beast would do such a thing? Her voice broke and she looked down at the floor, her face pale, sorrowful, fearful. Son of a bitch, 
Julian looked over at Radric, scowling. It looked like their attempts at rumor control had failed worse than they thought. It'll be all right, miss, Radric said, in that comforting tone that he did so much better than Julian. You'll see. Sophie put on a brave smile, but her eyes said she doubted it. She bobbed a little curtsy and went on about her rounds. Julian followed her with his gaze, and not just because of the wonderful way her hips swayed when she walked. So, what's the plan? Radric said, darkly, I'm working on it. Back in Beverly and Helena's flat. It still stank, though the odor had lost much of its punch. The landlord had left the windows fully open through the night. Helena had stayed with friends. Small wonder why. There was no way Julian could have been convinced to stay there another minute were he in her shoes. He looked around the flat's interior and found himself shying away from the table where Beverly's corpse had lain. He told himself to grow a spine, not shy away, but he found he almost expected to see her lying there when he looked, and worse, lying there staring at him, with accusation in her eyes. I am dead, and I should not be. What kind of lawman are you to let this happen? Julian blanched and looked further away from the table toward the chairs on either side of a small window that looked down at the street in front of the house. He almost did not realize he was avoiding looking until Radric cleared his throat. Julian looked at his friend and noted the quirked eyebrow, the knowing stare for a moment before he shrugged, ever so slightly. I'll look over here. Radric smirked, and for a moment Julian thought he was going to sling a verbal barb his way, but then he just nodded and stepped over to the little kitchenette. He began opening cupboard doors, looking in containers, intent on his search. Julian's search of the living area took only a few minutes. As far as he could tell, there was nothing out of place or unusual to be found. A small stack of books between the chairs, mostly for learning, but a few that had obviously come from one of the more recent caravans. No one in these parts pinned stories about fainting damsels and unbelievably handsome and gallant princes. <laughs> Julian snorted. A gallant prince. That would be the day. He turned to find Radric with his arms crossed and a frown on his lips. His right index finger tapped absently on the meat of his left forearm. Anything? Julian shook his head and turned toward Helena's bedroom door. He hated to intrude on her privacy. Again. They had not found anything during their search yesterday afternoon, but maybe they had overlooked something. There had to be something pointing to why she had been killed. He was just pushing the door open when a tentative knock at the flat's front door brought him up cold. Julian spun around and blinked when he found his sword hand on the grip of his blade. He did not really expect trouble here, did he? A tall, plump man stood in the entrance doorway, his hand still raised against the open door where he had just finished knocking. He was an elderly man, old really, with thin wisps of silver hair that struggled mightily to cover the gleaming plate that was the majority of his head. His clothing was the kind of modest quality that bespoke a moderately successful tradesman, who was careful to not step above his station by outdressing his betters. He had gray-green eyes that twinkled with intelligence, but were wide with alarm as he looked at Julian, and more in particular, his weapon and his readiness to use it. Julian flinched as he recognized the building's landlord and took his hand away from his sword, clearing his throat in embarrassment. At the other end of the room, Radric had also turned to face the entrance, but he stood calmly, his face passive and his arms still crossed over his chest. Bloody man and his unflappable nerve. It was sometimes quite annoying, though in all honesty Julian could remember a number of times when he had seen Radric unnerved. 
Master Lapolo, Radric said gravely, and inclined his head in greeting. His eyes flickered Julian's way, and Julian thought he saw a little rebuke in his gaze. The old man cleared his throat and returned Radric's nod with one of his own, though he kept a wary eye on Julian. Constables, just wanted to check who was up here after... <clears throat> he cleared his throat again, suddenly looking uncertain about something. Radric frowned. After what? Lapolo looked over his shoulder, down the stairs leading to the street below, and chewed on his lip for a second as though considering how to answer. A fellow came by here early this morning, asking to take a look at the event, as he called it. I told him to get the hell out, and he went. But when I saw the door open, I thought maybe he came back. Julian felt his eyebrows climbing high onto his head. The only people who would have had any reason to come in here besides Beverly and Lapolo were he and Radric. It was no one else's business, or at least the people in town knew better than, and were in general not inclined, to butt in. Who was it? Lapolo shook his head. I can't rightly say. Never seen him for today. Small fellow, wiry, black hair, dressed all fancy, young, carried a big old staff, which I thunk was odd because he didn't have any trouble walking around. He gave a little shiver. It seemed polite enough, but there was something about him. He trailed off. Julian met Radric's eyes and found that his friend's eyebrows were also riding high, though he had a grim expression on his face. Julian couldn't blame him. He knew who the landlord's visitor was, just as Julian did. Julian sighed. Mages were such a hassle. Okay, and with that, we're ten chapters down, out of a total of, I believe, 36. It's almost a third of the way there, uh, which stands to reason from the fact that we're five weeks into it, and I said it would take eh, three, four months to get her done. So, yeah, uh, the plot thickens. And uh seems that our visitor to town is being a little shifty like uh, we kind of feared it would be. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see you next week when you guys turn in, when you guys tune in for the next two chapters. Of course, if you can't stand to wait, by all means, go by my website, ssnstorytelling.com and pick up the book. You can also get it through Amazon and Kobo and iTunes and all the other places. But I get more money if you come to me. So do that. That'd be great. Um, barring that, do please let everybody know about the podcast and the uh, awesome stuff we're doing here. And uh, like, subscribe, do all the other stuff you're supposed to do on the various sites that you're at, whichever one it is. And uh, yeah, come back next week. Uh, look forward to hearing from you, or, or for you to hear from me, anyway. Um, until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>